Roll for initiative. Welcome to the Honor Roll Podcast, the podcast that helps you level up your RPG. Mush, LARP, tabletop, everything in between. We're not better gamers than you, we just all have different experiences to share. And maybe we can help you have more fun at your game, because the only way to win at a role-playing game is is to to have have fun! fun. I'm Ryan, I'm the curmudgeon, and joining me, as always, is the legend, Carrie. It's me! And Jason, the favorite. Also the only one of us who's seen in-game at this moment, Mm -hmm. and it's killing me. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha! Because I watch uh, this weekend, I watched the Battle of Winter Battle, and also in game. So yeah. I can't talk about any of that nope, stuff. No, can't talk about anything. Well, before we get into spoilers, let's get a report. No, on- <laughs> no spoilers. No well, spoilers. If you don't want to listen to spoilers on tonight's episode, get on Patreon right now. Oh, Patreon.com. <laughs> Patreon.com slash podcast and become a backer. And if you back at a high enough level, you can get free stuff. And you can also get a shout-out here on the podcast. So, let's do some shout-outs. That reminds me. I have an important question. We talked about this earlier. And I need to know, is Joel Eastland, does he wash his hands after he pees? Is he north or south Chicago? Because you told me that one of them only never washes their hands. Well, okay, I'm going to hope that Joel, because he does, like, his job is usually medical stuff. Okay. That he washes his hands. All right, so Joel Eastland, are, are hand just, washer. Ryan Martin, does he wash his hands? I don't know. <laughs> I know Drew Stevens, and Drew, I, I'm not allowed to comment. Drew Stevens. <laughs> I would think Drew Stevens uh, would wash his hands. Uh, obsessively? Like he has obsessive, yeah, obsessive I believe that. disorder. Oh. But we're not making fun of that. But we're not. Okay. We respect OCD people. Lost Colonies LARP, welcome back. Thank you very much. Joe washes his hands. We don't know that. I, I'm, just, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm just assuming that everyone that washes their hands, because you guys people are gross. Noah Coltrip, what about him? I don't know. Yes, he Hey, was. Noah, you should send us an email and tell us something about yourself. Or the, if you wash your hands. Don't tell us that. I'd rather it be a mystery. Oh. Anyone else? Sarah, rah, 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 rah. <laughs> I beat you to it. You're too slow this week. You're not going to get to talk at all. Jason's pushing buttons tonight. Jason getting, is. Getting glares. What those of you at home can't see is uh, the daggers shooting out of Carrie's My eyes. jaw hurts already from clenching. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I think it's because we were talking about ElfQuest. It always makes you really anxious and upset because you love no. it so much. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, if you'd like a shout-out, we'd love to give you one and also free stuff. You can get that by helping us keep the show on the air by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash podcast. So... When last we left our intrepid adventurers, we were sitting here at this table recording an episode of this podcast. Since then, Carrie, what have you, what you been up to? Oh, I've been up to a lot. Do you guys hear the birds? Yeah. Yes. Aww, they remind me of Twitch because they're tweeting. Isn't oh. that what you do on Twitch? No, that's mm. Twitter. Twitter. That doesn't yeah. make sense at all. No. Mm. <laughs> um, well, I've, I have been uh, Twitch streaming quite a bit lately, doing lots and lots of art. I finished the last of the Gunbelt Critters. Yeah, I, I was on a break the other night, and I watched you draw that flower mm-hmm. for a little while. And I and I did a, a flower for uh, my new mush that we're creating. Uh, Adventure is not wanted. That sounds fun. It's going to be very fun. I'm very very excited. We, uh, I, I'm doing the write up now for some kind of like uh, small like story wise like uh, things. We've got a bog witch that I've created. Um, we've created a marriage tree. 
in oh, town. I like that. That uh, everyone gets married underneath, and then they climb up and they tie a ribbon with their name, you know, like with the names oh. on it. You know, so it's going to be this big tree that's got all these ribbons hanging off of it. You know, because because in mushes, a lot of times you have uh, more of a, like a romance uh, soap opery stuff mm-hmm. that goes on, and so like there's going to be a legend like if you climb the tree, you take the highest branch and you put it in your house, like you'll have twins. Ooh! So that way, you know, if and when we have some PCs that get married and they do that, then I'll I can twins. I will knock them up <laughs> twice. <laughs> twice. twice. <laughs> what so about- wait, before we go on to that, I want to talk about one of the things I love about being on the staff with Carrie is her ideas are completely different than mine, and she <laughs> and that's that's advantageous yeah, because yeah. the stuff she comes up with is. Wildly outside of my box and really, really amazing. I love it. Oh, thank you. I would have never thought of having a marriage tree, but it's one of those touches that makes it real. Right. Yeah, well, okay. I will say the tree itself was not my idea. Okay. Um, Ryan is helping us build the grid, mm-hmm. and um, our the other staffer had kind of like done a quick sketch of what she wanted the town to look like. Okay. For some reason on this street in the middle of this town where there's no other foliage, there <laughs> was tree. a tree drawn. So it's important. And so he's like, we, we need to have something to do with this tree. And I'm like, on it, you know? And, and then I kind of came up with the, the marriage tree. I love it. Yeah. Oh. What you been up to Jason? Well, uh, I'm always slow here because honestly, well, you know what? Right now I'm remodeling my apartment. Okay. Uh, well, not, the one I live in now, but one I'm going to live in soon. How's that coming along? Uh, it's slow, tedious, and uh, but it's helped me with anxiety issues I've been having about how to fix my life because oh. it's I'm actually doing something to fix my life. Sure, no, ab- yeah. no, that actually is very yeah. true. and it's helped a lot. You feel good about it? Uh, I feel better. Okay, <laughs> feeling good would be having a really nice place to live. That's uh, you know, two story house split level with a garage and a big room downstairs for mm-hmm. you know doing theater stuff. But I also don't want to be house poor, so I'm not doing that for sure. All right. Yeah. Um, I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks. I love audiobooks so much. I drive an hour each way to work, so Mm -hmm. it's fun. Yeah. What have you been doing, Ryan? I've been been helping build the grid for this. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I'm a mush noob. Yeah. I've played a little mud, a few Mm -hmm. muds back in, I don't know, like 15, 20 years ago. Sure. So is this what we're talking about, like the different rooms? Yes. Yeah, actually writing the code to set up all of the rooms. How complicated is setting up rooms? It's time-consuming. I don't – I can't do it. I've tried to do it, and every time I do it, I build a room, and then I lock myself in the room, (laughs) and I can't get out. (laughs) It's terrible, and then I'm always like, someone teleport me out of here. It isn't isn't terribly hard, but it is is very time-consuming. And it is very... Um, code heavy. Well, it's not even code heavy, but it requires... Uh, Carrie's disagreeing silently. <laughs> yeah. That's because re- I'm dumb. I can't do this stuff. It requires so. a, an organization, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, you've got to be keeping notes as you go and tracking where you've been and what you're doing because it's all... I mean, it's very abstract. Right. So... Um, now, once you get all your descriptions, which you called... Desks? Yeah. yeah, it's just short for description. Okay. Yeah. Once you get all those programmed in, it be, it makes more sense because you know where you're at. 
Well, what I'm I'm actually not doing any of the descriptions. I'm actually literally just building the rooms and naming them. We, so we, they'll know what to add. Right. And the, yeah. the, the rooms are typically a, a grid street rooms are usually named after like the intersections where they're at. Okay. So this is Church Street and Main. And then you build uh, one for each building or yeah. Yeah. for each area where somebody might go. Yeah, and I'd, I'd like to give a shout-out to Kim, who's going to be helping us write all our desks. Oh, cool. So Yeah. So, But I've been doing that, and uh, we went to a park over the weekend. And yes. Took Dakota up to Point Park. Oh, that was a bunch of cool pictures. On Lookout Mountain. Lookout Mountain. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so that was good. Well, it's important to note why Point Park is significant to us. Oh, it is a game reference. It's a game reference for, yeah. for all of us. It's where the old werewolf game that I, the one that I met y'all uh, at, well, y'all y'all came to my vampire game, then I came to your werewolf game, and mm-hmm. uh, that was where the sept was. Right. Well, it's actually from Rage Across Appalachia. Oh, that's right. It is in the book the, itself, the, isn't yeah. it? Chattanooga Cairn for the werewolves is on top of Lookout Mountain. And, and it, we... We more specifically made it Point Park. Yeah. So, because I think it's That's just referenced place. as being on top of Lookout Mountain. And there's yeah. very few places on Lookout Mountain that are just open woods. Right. Uh, because it's fairly populated. Yeah. The only place with a wide open area anywhere would be Point Park and... And the side of the mountain. And then, the side yeah, of the when mountain. you get to the other side, like on the Lookout Valley side. Yeah. There's yeah. a little bit over there. All right, well, let's go ahead and head on to combat rounds then. That's right. Okay, get all this history off of us. Yeah. <laughs> Some of it's good, though. Like that mayor who blew up a building so he could build a road into uh, St. Elmo. We also have the International Tow Truck Museum. Oh, yeah, we which do Which is super that. important. Yeah. It is. I need to go. I keep putting it off. We should, we should do a, a live podcast. From the Tow Truck from Museum? From the Tow Truck Museum. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let's go to Comrades. All right. <laughs> Welcome to Combat Rounds. Why are you laughing? Because you sounded silly. <laughs> okay. Okay, so uh, we've all noticed sometimes Ryan has his DJ voice on. But that's important. You need it. It's because you always have hesitant, unsure voice. Hey, I'm certain. I'm just, you keep giving me weird looks and it makes me want to stop. I give you weird looks because every week you put... Welcome to combat rounds where we combat each other. You put... I'm okay with that. You put LARP, Tabletop, and Mush in a different order every show. I know. And But it's clear that it's taking a lot of mental capacity to do that. Well, I'm trying to do it in a different way than I did last week. So this is how it always goes. It always goes like this. Welcome to the Honor Roll Podcast, the podcast that helps you level up your RPG. Right. Tabletop mush, LARP, and everything in between. I want to make it clear and then, that and I only do followed, it. That's immediately followed by Carrie, who is then like giggling because you were so ridiculous, and she'll yeah. be. She's like, she's like, you are not better gamers than you. So I want to make it clear. The only reason why I do it. Is because Carrie thinks it's funny, and I know that it frustrates you the exact right amount that you never say anything. Except for is, right now. Well, when I brought it up. Out. Yeah, yeah. It's so, all so the out. mistake was yours. Fight. For bringing fight, it up? Fight, you shouldn't fight, have brought it up. Fight, fight. No, I think I could have run it another three or four weeks before it was enough to, for you to say oh, something. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Today we're talking about game mechanics. Oh, no. Let's, see, let's go back to fighting. We should 
call this episode Grease Monkeys. Carrie specifically <sighs> requested this episode. No, I asked if I could not be part of she it. she loves game mechanics. She said, the only thing I love more than game mechanics <laughs> is making new characters. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. To be fair, <sighs> she does like making new characters. Especially, no! But the, not when it involves game mechanics. <laughs> she, loves making, she loves making new characters, especially if it's a complex system that gives her a lot, uh, like math. Right? She really enjoys Especially that. Especially if those options uh, don't seem to make any sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, my, my favorite is when I don't actually get to play the character. Ooh, no, yeah. No. There How you many go. of us have a horror story about spending three days making a character for a campaign we never play in? When we first Tennessee. moved here to Tennessee, we had a small gaming group that was kept trying to play games. Sure. And it just never happened. We'd make the characters. Yeah. And then we'd never play. We'd make new characters. We'd never play. So, and this went on for like a year and a half. <laughs> and I was like, I, I told Ryan, I said, I'm done. I'm I will not play a tabletop game ever again. Because I was so <laughs> mad that I made so many characters I never got to play. Uh, so I'm angry and bitter. I understand that. It comes out in your role playing. Good. Yeah. Good. It comes out in her podcasting too. Good. It, it, you know what? Yelling Carrie is somebody we should try to bring out more. Oh, you guys don't don't it's do this. It's the only way we can get her to talk over us. <gasps> That's cuz you guys really won't shut part. up. <laughs> <laughs> so, tell me more about game mechanics, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ryan, what were you going to say? You look like you got deep thoughts. I'm just trying to stay out of the shit show. I'm just, I think you're happy that there's somebody else drawn fire because you're usually the one with your foot in your mouth but not on the air, off the air when you're talking to Carrie. Someone start talking. <laughs> Alright, so we're going to talk about game mechanics a little bit this week. Not just sort of the general game mechanics, but really we're going to look a little bit more at core game mechanics, the actual main functional mechanics. So like the die 20 roll in Dungeons and Dragons. Right. So, but to do that, we kind of need to decide what game mechanics is. Well, first of all, let's talk about... What is game mechanics? Let's talk about the fact that we argued about this a lot off the air. We did. About specifically what each one of us considered to be the, the... the definition. Yeah. And so we settled on a definition, and then we still argued a little bit about what they do. <laughs> so we'll get to that. So so right. this is the, the definition we sort of agreed upon. Game mechanics are the rules and procedures that players and storytellers are governed and instructed by so that they can interact with story, genre, characters, plot, and challenge. As a broad definition, I agree. I think most of our arguments are focus. Right. So what does that mean to you? Well, I believe ultimately, uh, and, and we agreed, I think we eventually agreed that the that game mechanics do three things, but I think that we still kind of disagree on which one is their primary function. Sure. I think they're all equal, so. Yes. So all of her babies are, are <laughs> I swear I'm going to stab you both! <laughs> For me, the most important thing that they do is they they are challenge resolution. So a behavior that we can't do in real life, maybe. Like I can't hit you uh, or I can't hit you with a real sword. Or you can't fire a laser gun. Yeah. So how do you determine the outcome of those things? And those are very broad combat-based examples because those are the simplest but there are a million different things that you might have a mechanic to resolve. It could be a debate. 
Right. I'm not a great debater, maybe, but my but, character but is. My character I heard is that fine. you're you're really good at debating lots and lots of people all at once. That you are the best mass debater. Look, I'm just going to say that I, when I do debate mm, masses, I get tons of dopamine, <laughs> and I'm no longer bored. Uh, and sometimes I debate all these people in mass. You didn't expect to get a masturbating joke. <laughs> oh, he's been sitting on that. Oh, yeah. I don't tell it how long he's been sitting on that. Oh, my God. He's over there looking at his hand like, Whoa, whoa. Oh, it's coming out. It has to, it, it's the thing that, it determines the outcome of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Especially something that you don't want to physically do. So in LARP, a lot of times you or, do want to talk and debate. uncertain what the outcome would be. Right. Right. So, so what are some examples of of using you know game mechanics to to resolve or to yeah to resolve a challenge? Well, I think we need to talk about Dungeons and Dragons mostly because it's, it's probably the, the most popular, and it was the first. Yeah. So essentially, we all know uh, when you're rolling an attack in D anD D, you roll a die twenty. And you try to hit the armor class. I always get it wrong. No. You roll over the armor class. You're talking about Thacko. Thacko! You're old. No, you're still rolling against an armor class. But instead of but having a chart. But it's not hit car armor class zero. It's, it's just the number on the sheet now. Right. So instead of armor class going down, it goes up. Yeah, and so you're, you're always trying to roll. Essentially, in Dungeons & Dragons, it's you're rolling a d20, and you have to hit higher. You have to roll higher than a target number. Right. And then there's other roles that, that uh, function differently. They are trying to hit a specific difficulty class, and each one of them, I believe it's still tied to a skill. I haven't read my uh, new books as well yeah. as I should have. Uh, but that's how most things are resolved in Dungeons right. & Dragons. In, uh, in White Wolf LARP, White, you know, World of Darkness LARPs, uh, you know, the, challenge, the, the mechanic is paper, rock, scissors. Right. And Which is still just a randomizer. Mm-hmm. And basically, you know, if you win your paper, rock, scissors, then, you know, your character probably hit the guy. Or won the argument. Or whatever they were trying to do. Yes. Yeah. Um, in Mush, it's the same thing. You, there's a, a code you put in that puts your sheet dice against somebody else's dice. Plus roll. Oh, so you roll against each other? You yeah. Li- you literally oh, interesting. Plus, plus roll, roll. Dexterity. Is it usually whatever. a... Um, is it a dice pull system, or is it a roll a die and add a number to a system? It depends. Dice pull. Dep- At least That's the ones I run, uh, yeah, the ones I have are dice pulls. Okay, yeah. cool. I, I just had no idea. And, and you, but, in the command, you can either just roll, like, you know, plus roll dexterity, mm-hmm. or you can do plus roll character equals dexterity versus character equals dexterity, and it'll roll the also two characters against each other, and it'll tell so you... So you've got a, a punch and a dodge. Do you feel like that... Does that feel effective? When you're playing, yeah, okay. I'm just curious because yeah. I I have I've played so little stuff like that online when, that I don't know how it when, feels. When um I I think it's nice because when you roll the verses like that, mm-hmm. it gives you what happens, so you don't have to have each person roll and then compare them, right? And then go, hey, I rolled higher than you, so I, I would win this round. Okay, um, and it actually tells you like by how much you won. And you kind of play off that? Yeah, like, oh, I got an amazing success against you, so when I punch you, you go flying through a wall. Or, you know, like, you add that that successful flavor, that amazing flavor into it. Or if it's a minimal win, you're like, I punch you, but I just graze your chin, and you're not really dazed. You can play I get that. it. Right. Because we don't talk about mush a lot, I want to ask one more question mm-hmm. about that. Is gradients of success 
narrative or is it mechanical? It's narrative. Okay, just curious. Most things, in, you know, because you don't really have hit points. Okay. Um, and so a lot of it is is narrative or um, collaborative. Okay. Hey, you know what? I've gotten hit three times. I should fall down. Right. You got now. three really good successes. You hit me in the head three times. Yeah, I'm going to be I'm knocked, knocked out. out. Yeah. Okay, I like it. Yeah, and, and generally mush players are pretty open. You know, every once in a while you get a stinker who's like, you know, well, you hit me, but I still stand. And you're like, mush, okay, whatever. The mushers have a much higher level of willingness to be collaborative. Yeah. To, to be fair, and I know this because there is a... There's a motorcycle in the honor roll uh, library. (laughs) (laughs) We're coming to you live from the Real Fun Studios this evening, and the window is open. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. It's very hot here. It was. All right, so they resolve challenges. So uh, what else, Jason, what do you think is a main component of of what game mechanics do? Okay, so as we discussed before, my my belief is that the primary component is, is it I'm trying to want to say it exactly right. It informs and creates behaviors. Essentially, it's telling you the things that you do. And that can be like we're talking about mechanics, but there the other It tells you the things you can do and not do by telling yeah, like it tells you what to do by telling you what you can and cannot. Well, and I think a, another way of putting it is if I tell you how to do something, I'm telling you to do that. For example. Right. You're not going to have rules in the book for something that you can't do. That right. was the, the motorcycle just oh, left. He's coming back. Uh, so, for example, in Dungeons & Dragons, because, again, big easy example. But yeah. You roll a die 20, mo- many of the rules are based around that combat roll. Right. So that's telling you this is a game in which combat is important. Right. Now, when we play Vampire, while combat is important, for sure... You notice that there's as many stats and skills that are based on things that are combat, right? As, as there are combat, social and mental. Yeah. So it's telling you that this system is one in which combat is still important because a lot of mechanics are dealing with it, but it's not everything. It can also uh, inform your out of character decision making. Uh, in that it, it can sometimes establish the possible development paths of your characters. Yes. Like, for example, again, Dungeons & Dragons, uh, certain classes don't get certain skill proficiencies. So if you want to be good at something, you're going to pick a certain class. Right. If that's what the the path you want to take is. Exactly. Or when you got into, and this is more like 3rd edition, 3.5, which I guess would be Pathfinder, but like feats, and right. feat trees and those things, those sort of dictate like where you're going to end up. And the sorts of things you can do at... 10th, 15th, 20th level. Right. I also think that it informs behavior icily as well. Well, I want to I want to back up to both of these. Okay. We talked about this some. Um, first of all, all behavior is out of character because I'm driving the character. So sure. I wanted to just get that out there. So part of that is the what your rules look like are not only telling your players how to play the game in character and what their behaviors or characters are going to do and it's telling you how to make out of character decisions on what you want your character to look like the rules can inform how the people will behave at the table at the larp absolutely because if your game for example uh you know and we harp on vampire a lot because we played it for so long it, it is a game that has tons of betrayal and intrigue right built into it 
So mechanically built, mechanically into built into it. Yes, you're rewarded for betraying people. Right, it's the game. Well, so what it means is, out of character, you tend to have that mindset to a certain extent. And I know that everybody tries not to. I hope, but because the game is about one thing, and it doesn't have any mechanics that help you separate that, it is easy for you to continue with that mindset even when you're. Outside of game. Well, I believe that your core mechanics should always reward the behaviors that you want the players and characters to exhibit in your game. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, like, to, to move to Dungeons & Dragons for a second. Yes. In Dungeons & Dragons, the reward is experience points. Right? Yes. Every monster has an experience point. So that's telling you, know, you to kill them and or so, defeat them. Right. And so that informs the behavior that the, the decision the decision you make that gets rewarded is the decision to fight and kill monsters. You get gold, you get experience points, you may get magic items. And and that plays the same way like you were saying with Vampire. And sometimes it works great. Right. Um, there are games that, that it doesn't work in. Uh, like uh, to to use vampire again, there is a core piece of mechanic that I've always felt was was completely broken and flawed in vampire. Is it humanity? It's humanity. Yeah. So the whole because uh, that should be the core mechanic of the entire game, and it's because that's what it's about. The story is about struggling to not lose your humanity, right? But the mechanics don't do that. What happens with vampire is the mechanics actually reward you for losing your humanity. They reward you for becoming a monster. Because when you become a monster and lose your humanity, you gain behavioral freedoms. Yes. You also sometimes gain super awesome wonky powers because some paths give you access to blood magics or and that's more in older editions but it's still the the feel is still there right and whereas if the game was really about struggling to stay human then the reward system should be rewarding you to be human to stay with a high humanity and that's something we both believe that penalizing characters is usually wrong right rewarding the behaviors you want is the how you actually drive them it's just like any system, for example, at work, where they want people to behave a certain way, if they punish them for doing the opposite, it only means that they try not to get caught. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're going to do this sometimes, but we're not going to tell anybody. But if you reward a behavior that you want, you're going to get it consistently. Yeah. But that's more of a how – that's a that's a theory thing. Another, but it's important to think about. Another great example is like 7th C, uh, the the – Original version of 7C used to reward drama. Uh, Doing something dramatic. Drama dies. Yeah. With drama they dies. Were, yeah, whenever you did something dramatic, you were rewarded a, a drama point and you could spend it on awesome stuff. The old Star Wars Westing games did that with force points and character points. If you did something awesome, you got you got one of those. And that would enable you to do other more awesome things. I heard the gum belt's going to do something like that with we are. bullet so, points. Well, you know what? One of the things I love about a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse games is one of the core ways to gain experience points is to roll really badly. So when your character fails, you're being rewarded as much or more than when your character succeeds. Mm -hmm. In Fate, they reward creativity and collaboration with those at the table. Mm -hmm. And so if you're able to come up with this idea, 
where you're you are able to say, yeah, but that sword is is you know it, it's fragile because it was cracked a few minutes ago when it hit my shield and I did so well. And your storyteller will be like, great, write write that on an index card and you put it in front of you and it, it suddenly now you've got this opportunity where it could be fragile, and and that's encouraging those decisions, encouraging mm-hmm. uh, and rewarding the behaviors that they want to see at the table. Mm-hmm. And it's creating a certain kind of play. For example, in Fate, they want you to be collaborative. Right. So they reward collaboration. In, say, uh, Dungeon World, they want you to be willing to fail, so they reward failure. Right, right. The last thing mechanics do is they add to the aesthetics, right? They, ma- they should make the game feel... A little bit. For example, in Gun Belt, you have rules for shooting guns. Right. And you also have things like, it's very easy to be shot to death. Yeah. Because you want it to feel like an old Clint Eastwood spaghetti western. Mm-hmm. Gunfights are deadly, they're very serious, and they're fast. Right. So you that's, probably don't want to be in one. It, if you're in one, you better be ready to kill or die. Right. And so we have a bullet point system. Mm-hmm. Thematically, they're even called bullet points. Right. So right. you want every moment of people playing the game to be thinking about, this is an Old West game. Right. Now, it's set on a dinosaur world with flying trains and crazy stuff, but what it's about is playing in the Old West. Do you remember Deadlands? Yes, absolutely. I love it. Instead of dice, they played, you had poker hands. Right. You played with playing cards because it was a wild, I mean, it was a weird Wild West game, uh, but it was a Wild West game. And so the mechanics were playing cards because it made it feel like a little more Wild West. The same with uh, Capers, Craig Campbell's game, uh, the superhero, mm-hmm. the superhero mm-hmm. game that takes place during the uh, Prohibition. Right. right? Car- it's done with playing cards because that's what it. That's how it feels. Right. I also think uh, on the top of topic of making it feel um, when you have to roll dice for something, there's a level of um, excitement. You know, because you could win, you could lose. Feels a little like gambling. It, it feels a little like gambling. Um, feels a little dangerous. You know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm going up against a dragon. If right. I don't do this, I'm going to die. You know, there there's also like a, lo- a little level of anxiety. Suspense. Suspense. That's the better word. So for it. you know, suspense. interacting with like a physical prop, like a dice, mm-hmm. makes you feel like you're doing it. Well, because you're you in physically the rolling the dice in in LARP. You're, you're physically throwing the Paper, rock, scissors, or, or whatever the mechanic is. You're doing something. Um, and in, in Bonfire Larps, it's, most of them are adventure games, so you're literally running a, and hitting. Yeah. And can we talk about crunch for just a second? Uh, okay, what is well, crunch? Crunch is this term that, that is used for mechanics that are striving to be exceptionally realistic. Or at the very least, complex. And and both, it's usually the realism is what results in the complexity. Because yes. real-life physics is complicated, mm-hmm. right? So, like, for example, Dungeons & Dragons. Does everybody remember Encumbrance? Yes. <laughs> okay. Encumbrance is crunch. It's one of those rules. A lot of, I mean, my, I never played in a game where we actually used Encumbrance. No. And there's I a lot of really cool systems did. now that replace it. Well, in 5th Ed, the Encumbrance system is different. Encumbrance was basically, you know, you could, depending upon what your strength skill level was and other things on your sheets, you could only carry so many pounds of equipment. Mm-hmm. And so you had to not only juggle uh, how much would fit in your bags, but then you'd also have to juggle how much it weighed. Yeah. And and figure all of that out. And it was that that's crunchy. You have now, to crunch the numbers. And there's you, a, there's you, some good story stuff there too sometimes. 
I think that, for example, Dungeons and Dragons, the mechanics tend to be a little more crunchy. Right. And that's because Dungeons and Dragons is meant to feel like a battle simulator. At times, it, yes. It, I mean, it, it was created as a, yes. as a battle simulator. But I want to say that crunch isn't always bad, though. We're not huge crunch fans right. as, a, as a group. Because I think, but, but crunch has its place. Well, for example, encumbrance. There's a time when you want to tell a story about maybe people crossing a desert. Suddenly, it becomes very important how much water they're carrying. Right. Suddenly, how much food they have on them matters. I think crunch needs to be balanced with story. Everything, well... Everything's a tool. Right, yeah. Everything's a tool. But I'm just saying, like, you know, if you have to take three hours to figure out your crunch... And, and then, that's a and then it's a problem, and it's it's not fun, right? Yeah, you know, you've got to balance it. Brings us actually then to talking about what makes these core mechanics good. So, what makes them good, Ryan? You're well, the, the one running a game. I I think that uh, I mean what Carrie just said. I think she nailed. I think our our first real thought about it. Good mechanics are efficient. So, tell me, you've talked a lot about latency. Right. That's really important to you, so explain it again. Latency, I I do not take credit for latency. No, no, no. There is another podcast called the Misdirected Mark Podcast. And and they use that a lot? You should all go I heard they're okay. They're pretty awesome, but they, (laughs) that is where that term comes, they coined the term, and it's a great, it's a great term. So what does it mean? Latency refers to the out-of-character time that people at the table must spend to do the mechanical part of the game. So it could be something simple like if I roll a dice and I add up is way less latent than if I roll a die and subtract. Because well, it's faster to add than subtract. If that's the case for you, yes. Well, f- we've talked about this so before. Latency, I, off here. Okay, latency, latency is any time mm-hmm. that you spend not role-playing or actually doing the mechanic. Any moment when you're step back from engagement. Right. So latency would be... Reading the book. Reading the book to see how the spell works. Okay. Latency would be, I have to now take a moment and figure out if I'm rolling six dice or nine. Mm -hmm. Because I have this bonus and this bonus on my sheet. So I have to do the math of how many dice I'm rolling. Mm -hmm. Latency typically does not count actually rolling the dice. Because that's relatively fast. Because that's the mechanic. Yeah. Latency oh, is, I see what you're saying. Latency is the time that you have to spend out of character th- to begin accomplishing that mechanic. Latency is asking him much, wait, what do I type again? Right. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So it could be adding up all the numbers you need to, to yeah. hit somebody. Some games have way more latency than others. Back in yeah. the Thaco days, there was a lot of latency. <laughs> in, in, well, I mean, in theory, I wasn't even supposed to look at the chart if I was rolling to uh, hit. Right. Yeah. I had but to if, ask. But if you, yep. gotta, if you have to look at a bunch of charts to figure out your target number, that's latency. Yeah. You know, so if you're if you're playing the old Star Wars Westin games, you know, thing, counting out the 78 dice that you need because <laughs> you spent a force point and you're a Jedi... You know, that is, that's latency. Well, you know, I want to talk about that, though, because I, I have played a bunch of Exalted. Yeah. And in Exalted, you famously roll handfuls and handfuls of dice. Right. And it, because it is designed around that theory that you're going to be rolling a bunch, it works because you feel like you're doing something really big because it takes several minutes to set it up. So in a way, they've sacrificed latency 
for aesthetics. Yes. And that's okay. Well, it's a choice. Yes. And that's what it's all about is choices. Right. Mm-hmm. So for me, though, uh, a good good core mechanics are efficient, so they've got a low latency. I don't want to have to spend a whole ton of time out of character figuring out what the mechanic is that we're about to do. Um, and, and contributing to that is presenting the rules in the book clearly and organized in a way that is intuitive. Yes. Right? We've all got, had books where it's like, man, why isn't the chart for this on the page with the instructions for this? Oh, that's or the worst. The rule that you need for the situation is not with the rest of the rules that are covered for the situation. Right. You know, like, hey, when you're using this power, it does this. And then you read the rest of the book and somewhere in their back there's like, Oh, and by the way, when you're in a desert, <laughs> right, and you use this power, this happens. The ch- They're the, not together. <laughs> the chapter, the chapter that explains what a warrior is, is not where the warrior charts are. Right, yeah. right? it should all be there or whatever. Yeah, um, and and also I think presenting them with simplicity and brevity. And so, like like this, the the big center on this one is the nine hundred page werewolf book that we all keep that we yes. talk about. Like it doesn't matter how good the it doesn't they could be the most perfect rule set ever written. Nine hundred pages is cumbersome to find what you're looking for. Yes, it's. I'm going to put this out here too. I'm in my forties. I have a forty plus hour week job. I have a limited amount of time. You have to a read. wife. You have a kid. Yes. I don't have time to read 900 pages regularly. Much less memorize it. Because and you, I certainly don't have time to memorize you it. You barely got time to play the game. I barely have time to play the game. Right. I need, and this is, you know, people, I was in a different place in my life 15 years ago when I was really playing these games all the time. I had time to do that and I loved it. Yeah. But now I do not. So, so for me, the most important thing is efficiency. Low latency, present it clearly and make it simple and brief obviousness right yeah to me i should be able to look at the rule and get how it works relatively quickly right uh i think you know we talked about about them they something that makes them good is when they enforce the right outcomes so what do you mean by that because we want people to be able to make choices right but what do you mean by enforcing the right outcomes? i think this is what we were talking about a few minutes ago about how we want you want your mechanics to uh to First of all, do the thing well, mm-hmm. whatever that thing is, right? And so that could be as simple as uh, doing it not well would be uh, a die system where where you have to roll 2d6 and your target number is always 13. Which means that you always have to have something added to it. And if the, sy- the system had better be designed with that in mind. Right. Because yeah. if, if you're just rolling 2d6... You can't roll it. You can never roll a 13. Yeah. And, and right. this is something that I have a problem with D&D. I have to roll a die 20 to hit, and then I roll another die to see how much I did. The damage. And I can roll a critical hit, and then roll a 1 in my damage, and that first roll felt like it was wasted. Why right. not just roll one roll, and it determines both. Sure. Yeah. Another proper outcome is, you know, it needs to enforce the behaviors that the designers want. We talked about this a little bit. Okay, so what you're saying is if you want your players to role play, you know, trying to cling to their humanity, then make sure that your humanity system works that way. So the you're you're let's break it down. You're saying make it do the thing well and then make good choices on what the thing is. Yes. What does this what is this mechanic governing is as important as how it works. If your game is about a group of religious knights who believe in the power of a mysterious thing called the Force, <laughs> then your mechanics 
better have the force in it. Absolutely. Yeah. And then I think it needs to reward the behaviors that, that they need. And this comes back to that whole thing, like, you know, if, if the point of the game is to make them go be the hero and, and kill the, the evil dragons, then when you kill the dragon, you should get gold and XP. XP. Yeah. And maybe right. things that you do that are not the sort of game this is supposed to be either get no reward or penalized to a certain extent. Right. So they should be efficient and have proper outcomes. What, what else? Do you, can, you, can you think of anything else? Well, we can come back to talking about we want to reinforce the genre. We want to reinforce the feel of the game. Every mechanic has to inform that. Uh, we briefly hit on already the playing cards for Deadlands and Capers. Right. They're perfect because each one of those games has card playing in the setting. So I'm here playing cards too. Right. Even though that's not exactly what I'm doing, it's still informed by that. I'm looking yeah. at it. Yeah. Uh, playing a game in which the uh, mechanics are very random, well, that means that this game had be should be about situations in which chaos is acceptable. Right. Like, it's okay for me to miss. It's okay for me to hit when I shouldn't. So it better be a game that's more adventure-based where luck is a big deal. Yeah. What do you think, Carrie? And mushes, what rules, what mechanics inform what the game is like? That's, that's a hard... It's hard, isn't it? I play mushes. Yes. And I actually think that... Mushes are so collaborative. It's the the decision. It's empowering the players to decide. We're going to just collaborate and decide the outcome and not roll. Or or together deciding, do you want me to roll for this? And we'll just go... So your real mechanic is what... One person cooperation. That, well, no, is is a is a rule or a <laughs> guideline. Mm-hmm. Look, we we wouldn't call it a mechanic because it's not like hey, roll X to find out. But it's a rule and it determines how the game plays. I really think that the the true core mechanic of mushing is consent. Yeah, Maybe. and I don't mean and I don't mean it in the cosplay way. I mean, uh, I, I, I mean, I actually mean though, like it's. Two consenting players uh, making the decision together whether or not to use dice or just collaborate. Well, I mean, it even can be broken down further. Like, the consent is, I'm going to set the scene. Okay. Are you okay with that? Well, you even told me earlier that there's power there. power there because as soon as I say, I'm going to set the scene, I determine where we are, what we're doing, time of day, what the weather is. Like... All of that is set in the first pose, and that's a lot of power that you're giving one person or the other. And it usually works. Oh, yeah. I Very rarely have I seen someone set and have the other person go, uh, I can't do that. And what will happen is it'll just be an out-of-character note that just says, hey, everything's great here except for one thing. Can it be early evening as opposed to first thing in the morning? Just because my character is not a morning person. Right. And then usually they'll go, yeah, let me retype that. And they'll just fix what they, you know. But they've consented to trust one another to just work it out. Let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. How much of that is written down? Or how much of it is just what what we at work call like tribal knowledge? It's Everybody tribal, knows it's, it's mostly tribal. Knowledge. It's mostly tribal because when someone new joins the game, and if they like, when I first started, mm-hmm. I literally I logged two weeks ago, <laughs> two weeks ago, um, and I was like, I don't I don't know what I'm doing. I don't right. know anything. And people go, let us teach you, and they show you, and they show you, and they go, I'm gonna set. And mm-hmm. then usually the first couple, week or two, everyone else will set for the new player. And set and then, is where you set in the scene. Yeah, where they set the scene. And then at some point, it's, and it's always so funny, like the new player will go, can I set? Right. And everyone goes, yay, yes, you can. 
because yeah, nobody likes it. They've learned by example. So right. I'm fascinated by the fact that you've got this whole culture that mm-hmm. plays in these games that has a, a good grasp of what's acceptable. Mostly, and yeah. No how one has we, ever written any of that down. How do we move that to LARP? Well, okay. <laughs> it's a great, I mean, in that's the, a whole yeah. other episode, but what yeah. a great thought. But a lot of LARPs do have consent mechanics, and that's what they lean into, just like the mushes. Yes. The only difference is that because these are persistent games that take place over time, that you have the ability to have someone there all the time. You have a mentor program kind of built in because everybody wants to help yeah right whereas if you're going to say a, blockbusters are not always the best example but if you're going to one of those you're going to see those people for a couple of weeks and yeah. then maybe you see them again in six months right. maybe you see them again in two months in a different game whereas mush game night is every day is every day right mm-hmm. i think the other the other thing uh with with good mechanics is that they're they're not okay this is going to sound kind of uh contradictory Sure. Okay. But they need to be consistent but not repetitive. So let me talk about consistency. When we interviewed uh, Dan Comstock a while ago, we talked a little bit about how Nero rules are super complex. And you'll have a dozen powers that do something very similar but different, and you have to memorize all of them. Right. So newer systems have basically said, these powers all do the same thing, so that's what they're going to do. Right. We're, they're all going to be – like if you throw a fireball or an ice ball – there is the damage effect and then something around that. But the damage effect is always going to work the same. So that's consistency. Right. So like in uh, World of Darkness games, mind control powers should basically all work the same. I control somebody's mind whether I'm a werewolf who's using mastery or a vampire who's using dominate. Right. And it should work enough so that if you read one, you can guess how the other one works. It's consistent. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but not repetitive, and by repetitive, I mean you're not always rolling the exact same number of dice against the exact same target number. Because that, that gets boring mechanically. I'm always rolling 2d6 and trying to hit that 13. Right. <laughs> right? Every single time. Mm-hmm. Every time. Because the statistics work against you in that with those things as well. Because if you know... Uh, you know, 13's the joke number, but like, let's let's just you know, the average die roll on two d sixes is a seven, right? Okay, so if the target number is a ten, you know, every single time that you roll these two d sixes, you're probably not gonna hit. It's probably somewhere in the twenty percent. I don't know the it math. Gets boring. But it sounds yeah, that gets boring. Mm-hmm. Or even games in which you know that you're always gonna succeed when you roll because the way the mechanics are set up. You, you just win. Yeah, and at some point, it's, I don't want to roll. Just say it, you know, just hand wave it. Right. And let's move on to something yeah. else. It's one of the most brilliant things they did in later versions of D&D is that they added the ability to just take time to win a roll. You can't have an exceptional success, but what you can do is, I took 10 minutes, so I get a 10 on this roll. So the difficulty is a 12. Right. I have a two skill. I'm done. Yeah. Well, here at the end, I want to talk real quick about kind of a new sort of mechanical struggle. That happens in in role-playing So I'm looking at your note here, and I don't really know 100% sure what you're talking about. Okay, so you will know what I'm talking about. Once you say it. But you won't know the... the, This is just what I'm calling it. Okay, say it. Do it. Maybe this is is my latency. Oh, it could be your latency. I'm about to coin a phrase. We're certainly spending a lot of time building up to it before we get to it. So the three of us are what I would like to call 
collaborative immigrants. Okay. All right. A distinct shift happened in the last seven years or so where games have stopped being filled with rigid mechanics and started to become more collaborative. Now we've always had games. You can go all the way back to the to the early eighties. Well you had Amber, right. diceless, There's, and a lot of the stuff is based on how you describe the scene. Right. They've all these things have always existed. But if we were talking about the 1980s, for example, like the, the old school re- revolution, you know, and stuff like those games. People love Empire. One of the things about those games is that, you know, the storyteller, the dungeon master, he was the god mm-hmm. and he was dictating the story. He right. was telling, you know, and players were playing their part going along with it. Uh, and today we have a lot more games that are like fate. And that are like mm-hmm. powered by the apocalypse, and and that are like what Amber was, which is more of a discussion than a dictation. Yes, it's become much more collaborative, where the storyteller and the players are almost more at the almost at the same level, with just different responsibilities. Well, yeah, you know, and there's a lot of LARPs now where the only mechanic is consent. Right, and as uh, I believe that the three of us, we're what I call collaborative immigrants, which mean. Which means that we came into the world of role-playing when uh, collaboration was not the thing, right? We and knew so, Thacko. So now we're having to adjust our play styles. And for some, it's easier than others. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, Carrie's ad- adopted mush collaboration. Carrie loves this, the collaboration. Yeah, I do. I yeah. do. Uh, it was really hard for me, especially... For us, as when I'm storytelling, he gets so mad. It's, it's, <laughs> it's particularly difficult for me because, uh, and and some of this is because I am a creative, and I am a storyteller, like little s. Like I write. You want to tell stories, right? And so I want to tell story, and I want you to participate in my story, but I want to be decide. I, I want that sort of old game. You want to tell a plot line, right. as in like. Here's the things that happen. And it's been very difficult for me to make that shift. Now, I believe I actually have. I think in, especially in the last year, I've really come to be very kind of fascinated with, with fate and powers by the apocalypse. But I could never run it. You could play in it. But I, 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 playing it fascinates me, the collaborative thing. But I think your biggest problem is when people try to make a game that you're running collaborative that... You're like, if you knew coming in, I'm going to run a collaborative game because I've seen you do it in mush and, and you roll with the punches and you make it work. Um, but, you know, when you're running something on a mush game that people are going to throw stuff at you sure. and you got to roll with it. So I really think a lot of it is just you, you know, if you have to know what game you're running. Yeah. And I'm, I know I am not the only person that has struggled with yeah. with making that shift from the, the OGS world that we grew up in to this new collaborative environment. And to be fair, there's a ton of games coming out right now that go back to that. Right. And and then there are collaborative natives. And these are the folks that are typically younger or they are newer to gaming. Mm-hmm. If they or are they older. came out of traditions that were less influenced by games like Dungeons and Dragons. And they they only played Amber when they were kids. Whatever. Or, right. They've been playing more collaborative LARPs and mushes this whole time. But collaborative natives are people who whose first and primary experiences in gaming were with collaborative games. Mm-hmm. And so when they play things like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff, it's just, it's, it's different and maybe they don't like it. You see it a lot in LARP. Uh, there are a lot of LARP runners and players who are really, uh, really rejecting uh, these sort of the non-collaborative games. 
You know, there we know people, especially in Atlanta, who you know they they want to run only collaborative games, mm-hmm. and and nothing. There's else. nothing wrong with that, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's great, but but they're all younger folks who tend to be collaborative natives, mm-hmm. and so I, I find this idea of, of there being like this newer group of gamers who are these collab- collaborative natives who grew up in in the collaborative gaming scene and have never known anything else, and then there's us who we've had to like navigate being immigrants to that and trying to figure out how do we move from uh, from these non-collaborative games into this this world where collaborative games are such a big thing. Well, I think also that there there is two there is two sides of this because one of the central issues that I had when I was running uh, UT plot was players it was very important to them that the game responded to them and and we were collaborating with them for story. And that the things that they wanted to do, I was willing to yes and. But then there was a whole nother group of players who were more interested in the no but play style. As in like, well, the rules say you can't do this. So why are we even having this discussion? Why would you get to do this cool thing? There's no rule that governs it, so don't even try. Right. And there is a clash there. And I think there is something legitimately here in what you're talking about. Yeah, I think it's the same. You know, it's... It's the difference between the our parents that that didn't that don't understand social media. Oh, I got my mother-in-law. Well, I didn't get it. I recommended her buy a specific iPhone because it has big, easy-to-use buttons. <laughs> right. And I was like, never buy an Android because no matter how much you like uh, phones, you do have to fiddle with it a little bit. Right. Yeah. The world has changed, and she's having to become digital. Right. And it's right? hard. And then my parents will never make that jump because they're not interested in it. And your, but your kid, he uses it constantly. Couldn't imagine a world without it. He was. This is going to sound weird, but he was using the computer before he could read. Right. Yeah. By looking at it and figuring out Clicking what things pictures. did. Yes. Yeah. And so I think it's very much the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as the gaming industry made this shift towards more collaborative storytelling games, I think that, that those of us who are, are collaborative immigrants sometimes struggle with, with that. And and some of us don't. Some of us made the switch really easily. I happened to switch very easily to social media. Right. It, it was super easy for me. And I did not. But with collaborative gaming, hard. collaborative gaming was hard for me, and Carrie was mm-hmm. like, let's do this. So like, you know what? Mushes are way better. The Whee! drama is different and tolerable. Well, yeah. the, it, and it, I can it, turn it off. That, <laughs> that's true. And, yeah. and it's it's really interesting when you start looking at uh, at, at the people who are struggling with uh, – uh, like when you look at the, the – especially the people who have earned – negative reputations or who are responding to games in the worst ways. I want to say the Grubnars. Right? Yeah. They're all collaborative immigrants who refuse to adjust. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the, the old school gaming renaissance, the, the bad part. Well, you know, here's the deal, is that these are choices. Mm-hmm. And neither choice is inherently better I, I tend to think that you're going to probably have more fun at collaborative games once you embrace them. But, you know what? I've had a ton of fun rolling dice. Right. And part of the fun I had was the mechanical interaction of rolling the dice that was not really explicitly collaborative. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I, yeah. I think that there's... I, I actually think the best game is a combination of both. Sure. 
And I think some people will just find that their strength lies in one or the other as well. Mm-hmm. And, like, and that's great. I think that my strength lies as, as far as running a game, it lies in in the less collaborative. And by playing, I actually think that the collaborative really speaks to me. So, so okay, one of the things in that area that I like to think about is Dungeon World. The rules for what the players can do are relatively strict. As in, like, you can describe it however you want, but this is the thing you're doing. So you can roll this dice, and then me as the, I, I think it's called Dungeon Master in that particular one, you are allowed to give them extra bonuses or describe it differently or what have you. But the powers that the, the Game Master has are essentially unlimited, which means that I collaborate with you, but you collaborate with me through the use of the mechanics. It it sounds a little awkward to describe, but when it plays, it's very fluid because I'm able to make decisions based on what you want to do very quickly, and I don't have a lot of restrictions. And even in the old uh, Dungeon Master days, the dragon had stats, and I had yeah. to follow those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I guess uh, let's go ahead and head into game wrap. Okay. Ooh. Welcome to Game Wrap. Uh, so, before we go, let's just remind folks, you can find us at honorrollpodcast.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere else that you listen to your garbage. What? We're also on Twitter, at honorrollpodcast. You can go to facebook.com slash group slash honorrollpodcast. You can go to hosts at honorrollpodcast.com and send us email about how much you like us. Please. And you can go to patreon.com slash honorrollpodcast and become a backer of the show and get lots of free stuff, and right. that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there you go. Let's give uh, experience points. Right. Um, Jason doesn't get any. What? How come? Well, because you have to be present to win it. Oh, okay. Yeah, Jason actually had to slip out, so. All right. We'll get, you know what? I'll give him one point. Okay, yeah. For, yeah, because yeah, he was here for, like, he the brought, beginning. And he brought Doritos. No, he didn't. Oh, that's, Yeah. He didn't bring you Doritos. Oh, jeez. Oh. Oh, I was going to give you 10 points, but now you only get five because oh, you didn't share Doritos. Oh, man. Nice going. <sighs> <sighs> that was Jason leaving. It year. was. <laughs> <laughs> so he's still there. Well, join us next week when our topic is, where was Trixie and why didn't she click through this podcast oh at all? Gosh, she didn't. Where is she? I don't know. It's weird. She usually walks through and disrupts things. Yes, she does. I don't know. Until next time, remember the only way to win a role-playing game is to have fun. It's to find my dog. Just those who are here on the podcast and nobody else. All of the music is courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Uh-huh.